Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. I am so beyond honored today to be joined by Linda Mason. She is a makeup artist with a very long esteemed career. She has owned a beauty brand, she has owned a beauty store, and she's also a fine artist. Linda, welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Well, thank you, Jody, for inviting me. It's exciting. It's a lot of fun, I think, <laughs> it's going to be. Well, you know, what's so cool, Linda, about the first time I met you was through a client. And I just love the idea that our industry um, is just one of those businesses where people want to share their friends, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, that's true. It was the CEW. Yes, yes that's so right. It's great. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a very good uh, good. Um, uh, you know, sort of organization for that, especially yeah. to meet people. It's really great. Yeah, it's been an incredible resource for me in the past yes. 10 years as I've been building my business. But we're here to talk about you. And, um, you know, for people who are not familiar with you, um, can you give us a little sense of the scope of your career? Maybe, um, you know, throw f- some names out of the models and photographers <laughs> you've worked with through the years because it's right. a very long, incredible list. I, I think one of the uh, highlights of my career uh, was actually working with the uh, designers in Paris, designers like Jean-Paul Gaultier and, uh, you know, Thierry Mugler. That was sort of when I started in the in the late 70s. I started the mid-70s. And then, of course, you know, some fabulous photographers, you know, Helmut Newton, Stephen Meisel. I mean, I've worked for, you know, Ray Kawakubo as well as a designer. I mean, it, it just, it was just fantastic. Even before I, I, I worked for a while as a model for about five years before I, I, I started out training with Lancome in Paris for makeup and I worked for them for a little while. And then um, I worked for them in sales and as a makeup artist and when I went back to Paris, um, I I started working as a model to survive because I didn't <laughs> want to travel and I was just offered positions traveling and I wanted to make a home. And uh, I, I kept actually my hand in with the makeup through giving classes and that is how I actually got into being, to becoming a sort of a makeup artist for fashion and beauty. Um, uh, let's let's. I'm I'm getting off track here. Well, let's start <laughs> at the beginning. The people, yeah. Uh, you grew up in people. England, right? I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what what do you think as a child was inspiring to you that led you to become a makeup artist? Well, d- definitely my mother. Um, my mother always. I mean, I think a lot of makeup artists say this. You know, watching their mother put on the makeup was fantastic, and mm-hmm. my mother would not go out without makeup. We were a family of redheads, uh-huh. so it did make an incredible difference. Uh, to to our features, so watching her transformation was great, and and the same thing. She inspired me for the fashion too because she was she always had the best fashion magazines, mm-hmm. you know, Vogue and and all of these things, and she would see the collections when they came out in Paris, and two weeks later she'd have made herself dre- a Dior dress. Right. So it. it, it it isn't just a question of makeup. It's a question of being somebody um, doing makeup inspired by fashion. The first uh, makeup I did for Angelo Talazzi for the maison, uh, the house of Jean Patou in Paris uh, was 
incredible for me because I noticed the difference. At the time, the makeup artists weren't really doing the makeup for the shows or many shows. It was just the models putting their own makeup on. And that was about 75. Right. So if I can just press pause on that idea a second, because that's going to be very revolutionary to anybody who's part of the beauty fashion industry right now, right? The fact that Back in 1975, models were just told, do your own makeup. And they were given products Mm -hmm. by a company, from a company, and they would use those products. Um, I saw that there was an incredible revolution in the fashion world. Things were changing. And the the designers were really, um, you know, having a sort of a a renaissance and Mm -hmm. doing new things and the makeup wasn't following. So I then started to insist, you know, with uh, Patu sort of in doing the model's makeup. And through that insistence, I had the models introduce me to other designers, you know, Thierry Mugler, Anne-Marie Beretta, all the the innovators uh, innovators of that uh, that time period. And... uh, then I started to do all of these different collections, lots of different collections. <laughs> so, Linda, this is so fascinating. It's actually something that I underline in your book. So for anyone who's listening who wants to find this book, it's called Makeup, the Art of Beauty by Linda Mason. It's from 2003. Um, on page 15, it says, makeup artists were just expected to drop off the makeup and let the models do their own thing. Yes. And it's really so fascinating to me because I did not know that. I just always assume that the the beauty look, the hair and the and the makeup were always in step with the apparel and the accessories as they were shown. Like I just always assumed that it was the way that it is now, right? So what you're saying to me is that you were at the sort of inflection point in the industry where um, beauty was a missing story. Yes, it was lagging behind. It was definitely lagging behind and it needed a push. It needed a push to um, to go forward. And what do you think prevented the designer or the designer's teams from realizing that there was a huge opportunity there? Well, they took it. Mm-hmm. There was Then it started. It started, they took it. And, and there were other really, um, you know, really good makeup artists. I mean, Claude Montana had a different makeup artist who was very good. And, uh, you know, it started to be more and more makeup artists were actually, you know, taking the time to develop a look for the designers, for the collections. Do you remember um, having peers in the industry of being a makeup artist who were also trying to have those conversations with designers at the time? Um, I didn't. You know, I was so focused on my own career. (laughs) I was like, I want to do this and building it in a direction that I wanted to go. I loved fashion and that's why I contacted the designers. I mean, there's a little story about the designer Simiaki, the Japanese designer. I happened to have done collections um, for a cosmetic line. I did some collections in Milan, uh, fashion shows, and I really loved doing them. And there I saw Isimiyaki's show, and I loved his clothes. And when I got back to Paris, I just picked up the phone one day, and I called, and I happened to get his PR person on the phone. And I said, uh, she, you know, her name is Victoria, and uh, she said, oh, no, Isi doesn't use makeup. I said, what do you mean he doesn't use makeup? I said, he needs it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she happened to be British. 
just at that time, Ise, who must have had a special phone line, called her on the phone. And she said, Ise, I have a makeup artist for you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So it was just like the it was right just like that. moment. It was the, exactly. And I really believe very, very much in that. I think you have to make an effort with anything you do and put yourself out there. And, you know, you might have nine misses, but the 10th time around, you can hopefully have a hit. <laughs> so was this very early in your career? It um, was. It was pretty early. I mean, that wasn't... Uh, say I started actually working as a makeup artist for the fashion and beauty industry and um, on photo shoots, probably in 75. Mm -hmm. And that was probably... A couple of years into that, right, right, seventy-seven, something like that. But yes. you, you did notice that you had the opportunity to be incredibly ambitious at that time and say, "I'm going to do something new for beauty with regard to the fashion industry." Did Did you realize it was kind of this big moment? I just felt it wasn't. I, I it wasn't. I didn't consciously say to myself, "I'm going to do something new." It's going to be. It's just that. This is fabulous. This is something I love doing, and this is how I want to do it. I had, and I think, you know, ignorance is bliss. I wasn't really, although I'd modeled, I was sort of outside of the industry. All my friends were outside of the industry, and modeling, I didn't do photo modeling. I did work for designers, but more the ready-to-wear designers, where they would make the clothes on me. And that was, it was... Oh, I, I did work for Lanvin. I happened to work for Haute Couture too. But it was more the side. It wasn't the, um, it wasn't sort of the press side in magazines and this type of thing. It was the side of the industry where you actually see the creators creating, right. which is also fantastic because, you know, a lot of these ready-to-wear companies, they had also really great designers working on these like smaller C shirt collections. I love shirts. Mm -hmm. It's funny how things go back. I've gone back to wearing a lot of shirts now, but at the time, um, you know, there was uh, Ferdinand, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the company. I used to, they used to make all their shirts on me and shirt dresses and things like that. So, uh, so it was a different industry I was going into. So when I started to do photo shoots, I was a little ignorant about who was who and who was which photographer. I mean, I as I was living in Paris, it was different to England. I'd been I'd grown up with the British magazines, so I did know who the English photographers were that worked on Vogue and things like that. But France, it was totally new. I didn't know who. Tuscany was or Peter Lindbergh or all, <clears throat> you know, it was a learning process and uh, it was a, a wonderful learning process. So do you think that um, your work on backstage at fashion shows opened up a career that was much bigger for you than you ever imagined? Definitely. Um, definitely. I, because I felt, well, this is something else I think I opened up too was because I felt it was so interesting backstage and the makeup that was done, there wasn't really anything in the press about what we were doing as far as makeup was concerned and how we did it. And uh, I started to work with the photographer and, and ask him, you know, let's get things out to, you know, Italian Vogue and things right. like this to, to let them know and have them come backstage. Uh, they were backstage photographers who didn't really do things for beauty. And in and, and any case, this was, it was a funny story because I had this absolutely gorgeous assistant who was 
a really beautiful French girl and uh, Ruti. And uh, so next thing I know, she has a double page spread in Italian Vogue. My assistant, I was so mad. <laughs> she looked better than me. What could you expect? <laughs> she, was, uh, she had a double because they had come backstage and they had photographed us. And, and so here they did do a story about it, but. Where was I? Right. I don't know. It wasn't it's even so in it. Well, you know, I'm, I really am astounded here because it's such a big business, right? Beauty and fashion now, it's very intertwined. Yes. It's an enormous business. So for like the publicists and the editors listening to this episode right now, they're going to be really surprised to think that, you know, Linda was there at the moment when beauty became part of the fashion story and that Linda was there at the moment when editorial became somebody who covered the beauty story in fashion, right? You're ta- really yes, talking about yes, these two yes, moments. Yes, that we just thought of, yes. We just assume it now, right? It's such a big business. You have brands, you know, being the sponsors of makeup artists and shows and, you know, yeah. churning out coverage. There's tons of editors and writers and bloggers and whatnot out there in backstage now covering this content. Yes. Um, but you were there to make that moment happen. Yes. Uh, it's really fascinating. I, I, I really, yeah, I, I guess I lived it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so take us a little bit further into your career. You know, you have great success making big relationships with, you know, fantastic designers that are world-renowned. Um, wh- where do you go from there? What do you do next? Well, I moved to New York. Um, I had, I love Paris. I still love Paris very much. It's just I was sort of in search of a new challenge. <laughs> I came to New York and I was thinking about changing careers and then I met up with, I I guess, the person, really great photographers who I'd worked with in Paris, such as Deborah Turbeville. And I started to work with Deborah again for, you know, American Vogue and and magazines like that. And... um, It was rather good because when you have enjoyed yourself so much and you've had so much fun with your work and you've also had success with that, you know, it hasn't just been sort of not noticed. It was successful. Um, I came to New York feeling strong. I also had saved a little bit of money, which I ended up spending straight away. But uh, so I was not obliged to just take anything to work. I really thought about what I wanted to do. And obviously I worked with Deborah and really fabulous photographers for for great magazines. And then for advertising campaigns, I I would ask for, you know, top dollars. Great. Um, More than I get now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's sort of, people would say to me, you're lucky you've always had interesting jobs. Uh, I made that choice. Right. You know, I could have done, you know, things that might have made me bored with with what my work. But I must admit that even until today, even if I, I don't, you know, I don't do as much makeup, but if I do happen to do makeup, I still love it as much as when I first did it. I am not bored with it and I have never been bored with it. And always if I have a woman in front of me, um, you know, I there is a, a happiness and a joy there that I really, really, really you know, enjoy, you know, and, 
and love. Uh, and I think it's it's not just to do with the makeup. It's to do with a personal contact and being able to sort of help something, whether it's a photo shoot, be able to bring something creative to that shoot, to be able to do something special for that shoot, or to be able to help a woman, you know, see a different side to herself. Right. You just mentioned, um, you know, in passing, in um, your past statement, how, you know, you would command, ask for top dollar and you would get it. And well, you don't get that now, right? So um, not for makeup, right? Not for makeup. (laughs) So is there, um, you know, as you evolve in your career, as you, as you grow as um, an artist, and I know you're doing many other types of art just on faces now, um, what is that internal process like when you know that you were like, you know, sought after? And this is probably something that actors go through and models go through, right? And photographers as yes, well. Yes, I see you're it. Yes. So, you're sought after for, you know, whatever, a 20 yes. year span and like intensely, right? Um, and then things change and your priorities change and, you, you know, what you're what you're working on changes and your desires change, but also what changes is, you know, that phone ringing off the hook. Yes. What is that process like to go through? Well, <laughs> It happened gradually, obviously, but also as my life changed, I had my daughter, my priorities changed. Um, So I had a a different life, what else? And then I can't say I suffered from it. I didn't want, I knew that I like to be busy I loved the fashion shows because, you know, we'd have 30, 40 girls to do and we might do five, six, seven shows a day. And I had different teams of people. So I like to do a lot. And, you know, with advertising and everything where you can get the top dollars, there's a lot of sitting around. And so that, as much as I enjoyed the actual you know, makeup work, and I maybe enjoyed the company of the people I was working with. The actual time of waiting around was was not good for me. I didn't. I didn't really enjoy that. I start, in fact, two o'clock in the afternoon, I start putting makeup on everybody <laughs> and everything I could see. Um, so I felt like. I wanted to move on. I wanted to. And so I started, you know, that was, and I'd already started my company. And when you, when you start a company, and I think you can ask anybody who's a makeup artist, um, you have different, you have different priorities. It was a learning process for me and I was enjoying that learning process. So, so when it started, when, when my makeup uh, work started to diminish, I didn't really notice it because I was so involved with all of these other things I was doing. I'd started to paint. I'd started to do, I, you know, I was keeping busy with other things. They weren't maybe as financially profitable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I was enjoying myself. And like I said, I had my daughter. So that was, uh, and then, and then I decided to open the shop, which is something I never thought I would do. Right. So before we move into the, talking about the, the product in the store, um, I do have a question for you. Would you want to return to that frenetic excitement of backstage? I, have, I want a frenetic excitement, but I have different projects that I want to work on uh-huh. that, that might, that might bring that. So it's not, 
as as a makeup artist per se. It's it's more like a sort of a um, a producer of something. So you know that's yeah that's more the direction I'd like to do it in. Right. So you have you're you're still um, interested in that energy and you're still interested yes. in fashion and bringing something to fashion, but not necessarily as a makeup artist. Backstage. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Would be, yeah. Cool. Well, I can't wait to hear about what that's <laughs> going to be. I'm sure it will happen soon. Hopefully. <laughs> so let's um, switch gears and talk about the brand, the product. We didn't yes. call brands brands then, right? We yeah. <laughs> call them product. <laughs> so you, um, you took it's, your... It's true. Right, it's right? true. We didn't call them brands. No. No, it was product. It's true, yes. It was foundation, it was yes. eyeliner, it was shadow, it was product. Now it's brands. Now it's brands. I have four brands. And you were you were an indie brand before we called them indie brands. Yes. Right? Uh, so you're many things before we had a name for it, you know, quite frankly, which is why it's, it's so incredible to, to speak right. with you. You're on the Thank frontier you. of all, all these right. things. Yeah. Um, so tell us about the product. What, what was your goal with it? Why did you invest your time in developing products? Probably for the wrong reasons initially. <laughs> what, what were the wrong reasons? Um, to be quite honest, I had some. I had somebody I knew who was doing a brand, and they weren't in the cosmetics. They weren't in cosmetics, and I said, "You know, why are they doing it? I mean, I could do it so much easier, <laughs> so much more easily." Which was a stupid reason, but actually, so there was, was like a competitive spirit. It was. A, I guess it was a competitive spirit. Um, but also, like I said, I was sort of searching for something. I was searching for something more taxing, more not taxing. That's not the right word. More, well, you know, that I'd have to, I'd put, be able to put more energy into and, and grow with right. and learn with. And I certainly found it. <laughs> um, so what was great for me is I actually did it right from the beginning. I created the packaging as well as the product. And so that was a big learning process for me and working with the packaging manufacturer. And I even had to go and get for one of the packages, get the dyes to do the paint because they didn't do those colors. And the other manufacturer, I said, well, could we put Deglo dyes into these? Could we mix them in as well? And we did, and we got a different result with them. So all of that was just, it was fabulous. It was a little bit like when I had been working with the designers. I loved working with the manufacturers. Um, You know, the same thing for doing my brushes to be actually at the factory and to see them cutting the hair like Mm -hmm. a hairstylist. I was thinking, my gosh, this shit. (laughs) You know, it's all of that was, you know, new and exciting and interesting for me. I think, I think, uh, as far as I'm concerned, what I lack the most, uh, what was my biggest setback? Because the development side, the packaging side, everything to do with the artistic side was a joy and interesting and inspiration. I think it was the financial side mm. that I found. Um, it wasn't so much that... I was frightened or not interested in numbers because I was and I was interested in learning. It was the way people were in the industry and that may have changed, but they weren't as straightforward as the people in the manufacturing side. Did you have business partners? I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. You know, and that's also it's a bit of a handicap doing everything on my own. I do it on my own. So I'm you self-funded this effort. I did. Mm-hmm. I had some really great friends mm-hmm. who helped. 
So I do, I did, and I do have, you know, I still have the company and I still have those partners. Right, that, we call those at that the uh, friends and family round of investors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, you know, they still have the money in there. Um, you know, some aren't around anymore, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, I want them to s- see how I can make it work. Um, so that's, they, they in a way... Um, I think their support, their moral support, was more almost more important than the financial support, you know, because I said, oh, I'm going to keep going. Um, right. But it was and the discussions with the larger groups, financial groups, that I found, um, I found more disappointing. You mean in terms of talking to retailers? No, retailers at the time was great. And I had a, a wonderful young woman work um, who was the buyer of uh, Henry Bendel's at the time. She loved the product and the first product we put in there and it sold out and we put it in again, sold out and we put it in. And then, then I decided to, I tried, you know, because of being in discussions with these larger financial partners, I expanded too rapidly. And they didn't come through with the funding. Oh, so you were, what you're referring to when you were like um, turned off this by the financial end, it was about how to grow the business and get capital to grow the business? That That's what was frustrating? Well, uh, it was the discussions I had with those financial people uh, that uh, sort of soured me mm-hmm. because I realized, you know, because I was... You know, I felt like I was supposed to be faithful. You know, I was supposed to be faithful and just uh be in discussions with one person. (laughs) And then you realize that, oh, that's not how they are looking at it. They're looking at it a different way and they're looking at it, okay, we're not going to do this until we have this. You know, they weren't really prepared to take a risk. Right. Right, but you were actually acting on some of their advice, assuming that they were going to t- yes, take you on. Assuming that mm-hmm. exactly, which I realize you don't ever assume. Right, assume. So this th- was a big lesson. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, you know um, what's so fascinating about talking to you about this because this was in the eighties, is that right? Yes, or early nineties. Yeah, that was the eighties, late eighties. Um, yes, what you were going through um, on your own, right, in a world where independent independent beauty really didn't exist very much, right? It was very small. Um, is something that is very different right now, right? There is so many independent beauty brands. There's You could pick up the phone and call another founder and say, I'm really struggling with this, right? Um, how, did you, how did you deal with it? But you were really an island at the time. I was. <clears throat> I, think, I think it was because I'd always sort of, I'd gone off from England to Paris on my own. I had gone from Paris to Beirut on my own. I'd gone back to Paris on my own. I'd always, I had this habit of doing everything, I guess. I mean, not really on my own. I had wonderful friends. I had great friends. And I even had a friend in Paris who I have an enormous amount of respect for, who was a great friend who... When I was at the height of my career as a makeup artist and wanted to buy a company for me to run, and I said, oh, this is exciting, you know, it's like very good. And I have another friend who said, yes, and I want to be part of it and we'll buy this company and you can run it. And uh, I had a dream. (laughs) And I had a dream that night and I dreamt that um, I was on a boat on the on the ocean or a river or I don't know where it was and my friends were I lost my friends <laughs> and I realized I wasn't ready 
What did what did that mean to you, the dream? It meant that it wasn't the right time. I meant that I still had so much more to do than me, and I did. I mean, it would have been a, you know, I came to New York, I did all of that. I It meant to me that it wasn't the right time, so... That was it. Right. And what, what feels I go a lot in my dreams. What feels emotional? <laughs> I'm very old-fashioned with that. What feels emotional as you recount that story? Um, sort of acting upon that. I mean, I don't have, and I still have those friends, very close friends. Um, but I think I was very uh, humbled by the confidence they had mm. in me. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to find somebody who had that type of confidence again. Right. Right. Um, I can, um, I'm sensing, you know, your emotions right now. And um, it's really incredible and powerful. I think what you're, you're feeling right now, and I can feel it too. The sense of um, somebody having so much faith in you, right. And just knowing you for you and not knowing you for spreadsheets and not knowing you for this and that. Exactly. Right. Just knowing you for you and having that faith. Um, that's uh, that's love, right? Yeah, no, it was great. It was really nice. It was good. At least I, you know, like I said, I still have those friends, which I'm very grateful for. Right. And what realm would you want someone to have that trust and faith in you now? I think in my business ideas, mm-hmm. in my, uh, not just the business ideas, I have some other ideas, a project that I think is incredibly special that nobody has done yet. And... Uh, I'm I'm just starting to get out there with it. Right. So obviously, I hopefully will find people because this cannot be done on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have one one friend already who I think would be incredible to work on this with me. And um, but uh, you know, I, I I just want I just need other people. I know I'm going to need other people who say it's a great idea. I believe in it. I can help you with this. Let's do it. Right. So this is a whole new frontier for you. Yes, it mm-hmm. is. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. <laughs> and it's definitely something that, you know, I can handle, but I know I can't do it on my own. So I need I need partners or partners to do it. Right. And that maybe that even feels a little limiting, right? You've done so much on your own, right? No, not at all. Oh, no, you feel empowered? No, when I closed the shop, when I closed the shop, I said, you know, I closed the shop. I'm not going to say I did it on my own because it's not true because I had fantastic um, interns and assistants and, you know, people, you know, clients. I had a lot. So it's never really on your own. I think that when I closed the shop, I said to myself, this is not how I want to work anymore. I want to begin, when I begin the project, I want to have other people that understand the direction we're going in and we're all on the same thing and we believe in it. I don't want people saying, oh, yes, you know, all right, let's try this. Let's do this. I'm sick of that. No. (laughs) You know, I've survived until now. And how have I done that? And let's let's go. Let's go further with the ideas I have. Um, You know, how much I was just sort of sick of proving myself right. or having to prove it's myself so like I did in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's a, that's a fault I have. And I, I, I understand that people are used to 
I think a lot of people, a lot of people, or a lot of times that I've, you know, been in discussions and they've been worried about um, me not having people I worked with, not having partners. I think these days nobody would do a venture without having two or three people involved. And that can be a handicap too, you know. Yeah, Uh, but that's the way it's done now. And that is actually the only way that I want to move forward with these other projects um, is to get other people involved and to be able to move forward with it, uh, with the vision, with the vision I have. Can you give us any clue what this is? Yeah, you can figure it out. Come on. It's good to have a little bit of a puzzle. <laughs> one of them is still my, one of them, the two, there's two projects and the, the one is still my company. Mm-hmm. I still really believe very strongly that what I have is different to what's out there. And um, I think with these projects, with these projects, I think I'm approaching it very differently too, not just from the point of view of wanting to have, you know, the right partners before I, I, I move too far forward. But also I'm going to do from the bottom up what normally you do from the top down. In other words, from the bottom up, I'm going to begin with, um, you know, I hate the word giving back. Um, (laughs) I've always been sort of ecologically conscious. That's why I sort of did paper packaging and tried to do things around New York and near New York and all of that. Um, This, these projects would take, take things further. I'd want to do them in countries and in a place where I feel they can be incredibly beneficial to that particular place. And also, you know, it's the place is also right for this day and age because everything can be done over the internet now. Mm-hmm. And everything's done more or less on a global, in a global fashion. So what I'd like to do is from the very beginning of these things, like one of the, you'll almost build it on this process of, of giving back. This is, you know, um, so that's how. I mean, I sort of, I'm not very good at explaining all of that. <laughs> I'm not very good at words. I, I could probably write it down wait better. and see a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, before we run out of time, I want to talk about this theme of ageless beauty. So you have a, yes. you have a book, you have three books you published. One of them is called Ageless Beauty. Yes. Um, I think this is an incredibly relevant topic as we have a population that's aging and living longer and um, everyone's, you know, very aesthetically focused mm-hmm. these days, no matter what their age. Um, what's your point of view on, on beauty? Um, well, I think I, I've always enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed making up. I've always enjoyed, and I, I very often have found that, uh, you know, women are fearful of makeup and they'd like to be able to experiment a little more. So I'd like to take uh, the fear out of that and let women know that they can have fun um, and enjoy makeup, whatever age they're at, and they don't have to look painted. It's like a a painting, a, a touch of color can just brighten it up. It doesn't have to be, you know blush, eyeshadows, lipstick. It can be uh, just a little green on your eyes or a little orange 
on your lips. I'm talking about my makeup now. <laughs> so, you know, when um, when we first met, you said something to me that I wrote down and I haven't forgotten. Um, and I never really thought of makeup this way, but you really cemented something in my head. You said that makeup is a great equalizer. Oh, definitely. As far as beauty goes, mm-hmm. I think a woman who, you know, who, who makes an effort with herself and presents herself to the world um, with a, you know, an uplifting type of look is as beautiful as somebody who is what you would, you may say, a natural beauty who rolls out of bed and just doesn't have to, doesn't make an effort. Um, I hate people who look down on makeup and say, oh yeah, but you know, I like to be natural and this type of thing. It's just so boring. (laughs) And let me tell you, if you look them, you know, it's, oh, I could go on and on about it. Um, And especially if you're out at night, I mean, look, look at, you know, it's it's a question of its personality, it's an inner beauty, and it's a taking time to, uh, to sort of enjoy things. It's like decorating your room. Would you go with your, would you leave your room and your home undecorated? Would you? <laughs> I, I you paint just the walls to, all gray. You paint the walls gray. all gray. Do you hang any paintings yes, or artwork? Of yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So you mm-hmm. decorate mm-hmm. it some other way. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't paint my walls gray. <clears throat> That's all I can say. But I've got a lot of things in my place which I wouldn't mind spreading out a bit. But you do put you do put you know some earrings on the walls. And, right. So do you, you know, think that this stick. idea of the equalizer goes back to you watching your mom? Right. You said as a redhead, like yes. you really needed. To to work hard to make those features pop? Yes. I mean, I thought my mother was beautiful without makeup too. You know, you are. And hopefully you can enjoy being without makeup. It doesn't mean that you have to be somebody who cannot live without makeup to enjoy makeup. You can still enjoy makeup. And it doesn't mean there aren't days that... There are days where I go without makeup and the days when I might go out without makeup, although I don't think I would do it in New York. (laughs) Although where I live in Soho, maybe you'll find me like 7 o'clock in the morning running around, (laughs) but not not later than that. Um, So, yeah, it is. is. I, I noticed that, especially in France. I guess I noticed that when I lived in France more than anything else, and I used to go out a lot to the nightclubs, and you'd see that it wasn't, you know, necessarily the most beautiful women that had the most, you know, success and enjoyed themselves the most. And it was the ones who'd really made a little effort with the way they looked. Right. Well, Linda, this has been so incredible. I just love talking with you. We could talk for hours. Um, I'm very excited to see um, where your new ventures go. I'll certainly be following that. All right. (laughs) And for our listeners, you can um, listen to our podcast and write reviews on iTunes. Look for it at Where Brains Meet Beauty and um, find us on Instagram at Base Beauty Creative Agency. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.